0: This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message.
1: Now, good morning. Good to see everybody. Uh, we're going we're to read from uh, the 15th chapter of Matthew again this morning. So would you turn with me there? To Matthew 15, we'll start reading in verse 21, and we'll read down through 28, so Matthew 15, verse 21, would you stand? Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her, Not a word. And as his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour.
0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come again in the name of Jesus thanking you this morning, Lord, for your your willingness to grant grace, your willingness to heal and deliver, Lord, your desire to make your glory known, to make your mercy known. Lord, we're encouraged by um, your Word, passages such as the one before us today that, again, give us insight into Your love and mercy and how You respond to those who come to You in faith. And Lord, we're thankful this morning for the gift of faith. Lord, we ask now that You grace us in giving us ears to hear what You are saying to Your people in this hour. I ask that You enable me to deliver the message You want delivered. Grant accuracy, I pray, and clarity. And enable all of us to understand, to glean from this passage what You want us to take. Make Your Word effective in our Hearts and lives, we pray. For our good, for your honor and glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 I was just uh, sharing with the mayor this morning, uh, not the mayor of Fillmore, but the mayor of Halton. Does Fillmore have a mayor? That would have to be Brother Freddy, right? Because <laughs> if not, we need to elect him because he needs to be. No, I was just uh, a lot of times when I'm studying in my uh, secondary office, which is up here at a uh, pilot. Um, uh, <laughs> the mayor comes in, we talk for a little bit, and uh, I was just telling him this morning. He asked about the passage I was looking at, and I was telling him. What a, what a joy it is to look at passages like this, in which um, we have revealed to us God's grace to the Gentiles. Um, a lot of people are fascinated, a lot of Christians are fascinated uh, by the uh, history of the Jewish people and uh that's that's warranted uh, um, i um you know i could I think I could say that about myself to an extent it's fascinating um I'm thankful uh and and uh you know you, you read for example the old testament uh thankful for uh, uh what God has done in bringing salvation to the world through the Jewish people and I, I don't want to minimize because I don't think the New Testament does, I don't want to minimize uh, in any respect uh, the Jewish um, uh, people, you know, the ethnic group that we call the the Jews or Hebrews. Um, But isn't it a glorious thing that although, as Jesus Himself said in in John 4, salvation is of the Jews, and that's, by the way, one reason we shouldn't minimize uh, them, But isn't it a glorious thing that God chose to uh, take it out from there and open up the way of salvation to all of the world? And uh, I told the mayor, you know, I'm encouraged by these passages because, you know, I told him, it's hope for you and me. (laughs) Because we're Gentiles. Um, If you're a Jew, then... uh, You know, I guess you, you, I don't know. I don't want to sound ugly here. I don't want to sound like, you know, I'm I'm implying any kind of selfishness, but I was going to say it might not mean quite as much. But for a Gentile, I tell you what, we ought to um, just be ecstatic that God has chosen to include Gentiles in his salvation plan. And, of course, Jews ought to be ecstatic as well. Um, I I kind of want to open with that because. Some of the statements in here almost look um like they're going the other direction. But this is exactly what Jesus is doing. He's I, I, I think maybe one thing we'll we'll try to bring out as we go. I think maybe one point here is that uh we don't deserve him. That that point is kind of driven home here. And we and we've talked a lot about that being true of the Jews because as we've moved through Matthew, you know, we started out with the ministry of John the Baptist, and the, uh, the Jews came out to be baptized by John, and many of them, their hearts were not right. And God uh, or John, rather, spoke as a prophet of God and, and warned them and, and told them not to trust in their ethnicity. And he said, you know, the axe is already laid to the root of the tree. In other words, you, you can be cut out, cut off. And he said, God is able to raise up from these stones children to Himself. Raise, up from, raise them up from the stone. Children to Abraham. So, we've seen a lot of warnings for the Jews not to take it for granted. And I think we need to be reminded as well, uh, especially since we live in a day um, where there's quite a contrast. You know, if you go back to the, the, the first century... Most of the Gentiles not even thinking about salvation, I would assume. Um, those who were the God-fearers like uh, um, some of the one Cornelius, for example, we have in Acts 10. Uh, or the, the uh, centurion uh, that came to Jesus asking to heal his servant. Some of the God God-fearer, Gentile God-fearers like that probably weren't really sure what the outcome was going to be for them, because they were not Jewish. So, this idea that the Gentiles would be included would be an astounding thing to them. What a contrast today, where we almost, we almost define Christianity as a Western religion. And much of the world, uh, in fact, much of the opponents of Christianity do tend to define it that way. Uh, that's a wrong definition. So, so we ought to still be astounded that God would show, number one, that God would show grace to anybody. And number two, that He would include us, the Gentile dogs, as it were. That's not, <clears throat> not a very nice thing to call us, is it? Um, let's go to the passage here. And I just want to consider a few things concerning, we're, we're going to look at this woman, this Gentile woman, and, and this is one reason it's all the more remarkable because she's not a Jew. We're going to look at a few things concerning the, the work of faith. Okay? The work of faith. Um, I, I have to reserve the right to change the title of the message. So, it doesn't say that in the bulletin is why I'm saying that. <laughs> it says cry out to Jesus. That's, that's going to be one of the... One of the points, and that is that's certainly going to going to be pivotal when it comes to uh, application. Um, just a little bit by way of reminder, because I think this is also very significant. That is the the, the context that we we find this story in. Remember what we've been talking about um, in the beginning of this chapter. The Jews can't come to. Uh, Jesus, specifically Pharisees, it says in verse 1, Pharisees who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Now, what they are accusing Jesus' disciples of here is being defiled. Not only ceremonially defiled, it, it does, uh, they are implying that and it does include that. In other words, they, they didn't keep the ceremony. They didn't wash their hands. And I think I pointed out before, when they talk about washing their hands before they eat, it, it, wasn't, it didn't have to do with hygiene. It, it had to do with being righteous before God. It was, a, it was ceremonialism. So, His disciples weren't keeping the tradition of the elders. You know, washing ceremonially before eating. And so, in other words, what they're accusing them of is being defiled. You're not keeping the tradition of the elders. You're transgressing the tradition of the elders. You're You're defiled. And so Jesus gives an answer to that, a little discourse here on true defilement. And that really has to do with transgressing the law of God, not transgressing the tradition of the elders. And it's really an inner thing, a heart problem, not an outward thing, a problem of what you eat or drink or whether or not you wash your hands or what you wear or something like that. Jesus says uh, it's, it's a heart issue. What, what comes out of the heart, uh, what comes out of the mouth is, is from the heart, and therefore that's what defiles a man. So, so there's this discussion about defilement. I just want you to keep that uh, in mind because, again, the Gentiles are considered to be, by the Jews, the Gentiles are considered to be unclean, that is defiled. Ceremonially unclean, as well as truly unclean. I mean, they're, they're thought of as being um, out of right relationship with God. And I think for the most part in Jesus' day, they would have been given little hope of getting into right relationship with God. You're, you're just simply unclean. So just like the Jews would have uh, regarding their dietary law, they would have looked at a a pig, and, and said, you know, there's nothing you can do to make that animal clean. We, we just can't eat you know, God's it, we, we can't uh, eat hog meat. doesn't matter what you do to it. It's unclean. It cannot be considered clean. That's the way they would also view the Gentile people. So much so that uh, they, they wouldn't even company with them. I mean, they had to do business with them and stuff, but they would not uh, have um, what we might call fellowship. With them. You see that played out in other places. For example, again, Acts 10, when Peter goes to the house of Cornelius, it's a shocker because he's showing up at the house of a Gentile. And God had to show him that he's not any longer to consider the Gentiles unclean. The Lord speaks to Peter and says, What I have cleansed, do not call unclean. Now, we're getting a foretaste of that here. A foretaste of the inclusion of the Gentiles. Um, but it's in the context of this talk about defilement. The Gentiles are considered unclean. But we're going to get a lesson on what really makes one clean. Is it what you eat or drink? Is it whether or not you wash your hands? Is it your ethnicity or nationality? No. All of those things. Okay. So that's, that's just for a bit of context. Keep that in mind. Um, this is a testimony like we saw earlier with the centurion's, the healing of the centurion servant. This is another testimony. This is one of the, the, the big factors here. This is another testimony of grace through faith. Now, that, that's where real righteousness is. That's, that's how a person is really right before God. Not, not by doing some outward thing, washing the hands or whatever, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith. By grace you are saved. Through faith. We saw that with the centurion's uh, servant. It was the centurion's faith. Um, that uh, because of that, that Jesus responded by healing His servant. And you see a similar story here with this uh, woman concerning her daughter. Uh, And again, it's a foretaste of the inclusion of the Gentiles in God's salvation plan. That is, again, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. Alright, verse um, 21. Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon, not not the cities themselves, but the region. But this is still um, predominantly Gentile uh, as far as the population. So that's interesting. Now, just as far as drawing the borders, Jesus, uh, you know, the lines. Jesus has not left Israel. He's still within the borders, but he's in an area uh, somewhat like the area he grew up in. In uh, in Nazareth, he's in an area where there's a large uh, percentage of of Gentile in the population. So, I find it interesting that he would even move over in that area. And and we're going to see why. None of this is happenstance. He's he's got a purpose to fulfill here. So, he goes to uh, Tyre and Sidon. Um, If you remember back in chapter 11, he pronounces, Woe upon Tyre and Sidon. Actually, he's pronouncing it upon Chorazin and Bethsaida, but he uses a a parallel with Tyre and Sidon. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, and he's talking about the Tyre and Sidon of old, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. Now, we can take by, by implication there that, again, Tyre and Sidon, as Gentile cities and corrupt cities, were kind of left out of God's plan, out of His blessings. Um, so, again, it's interesting uh, that Jesus is going to deal with this woman in the way that, in the way that He does. So, alright, number one. Uh, I want to just consider a few things here concerning... Uh, how this woman's faith is seen. And this is what I'm referring to as the work of faith. What, what does faith do? Faith, faith is a really hard thing to objectively define. But we don't want to think, just like we were talking about in Sunday school this morning, we, we don't want to think that it's just uh, totally abstract. <coughs> the, the, res, the resurrection, just for example, this is another example, the resurrection, that is when, like when Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. <laughs> I'm the resurrection and the life. The, the, the truth of the resurrection was not abstract to Lazarus. Lazarus had been cold dead. And then back to life again. There's a man that the resurrection was real to. So, when you say, when Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life, Lazarus, I would dare say, had a better understanding of that <laughs> than, than most of the, the, if not all of the Jews that he was uh, eating with in, in John 12. It was not just an abstract principle. It's the same way with faith. We don't want to think of these things as if it's just kind of unrelated. To, uh, to our living. And that's just a belief system. That's the way the world talks about faith. We don't want to talk about it that way. That's why they tell you, you know, you've got to separate faith from politics. You have to separate faith from education. You have to separate faith from everything. I mean, they, they try to put us in a, you know, you, you keep that confined to your own home in your little closet. And don't bother anybody else with it because it has no relevance for the rest of life, that could be uh, could not be more untrue. Um, faith has a profound effect on our life, and specifically here, I'm talking about uh, biblical saving faith, faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, I'll, I'll make that clear because sometimes. In order to explain faith, we use a more natural kind. Um, I was thinking about that yesterday when when uh, I, Leslie and I were at the, the Bass Pro Shop and we're on the second floor mezzanine. Is we have we have this similar experience at where I work, and that's why uh, one reason I, it kind of caught my attention. And, and plus, Leslie said something about it. But we're on the second floor of Bass Pro Shop, and it's pretty crowded, and uh, and you can actually feel the floor moving. And and then you know, and then Leslie notices this crack in the uh, concrete up there and pointed it out to me. And it, it, it reminded me of a time I had people at work uh, just was several years ago. We had a, a mezzanine like that that's concrete floor, but it's, you know, about 12 feet off the ground. And we had a machine breakdown up there, and so I, 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 I called everybody up there. I mean, the whole crew, we probably had well over 100 people up there. And, uh, and, and I could, you know, you, you could feel the thing just moving a little. Now, it may have been perfectly sound. I don't know. But, I mean, you could feel it moving. And I looked at a friend of mine and, and I said, uh, You think this thing's made to hold over 100 people? <laughs> and he said, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know either. But, but I, it did. So I guess we were okay. But that, that takes a certain amount of faith. To stand up there, maybe even more to stand under it. And, I mean, you know, you could go, you, you could go down to the first floor and be on solid ground, but you know, if the thing collapses on top of you, then a lot of good solid ground does you right. Um, and you know, and I thought the same thing when we left Bass Pro Shop and we go out into the parking garage, and I'm think, and I'm thinking to myself, now you, look at all the fate these people have, including us. You know, I mean, people are parking two and three and four stories in the air, and people. Uh, Below all that or walking under it without a thought to it. That's faith. That's faith in the engineers. Faith in the construction workers that did all that. Uh, I think that those kinds of things make a good analogy for faith because the bottom line there is trust. We're trusting. We trust more than we think a lot of times. You go down... um, I'm thinking of a two-lane lane, like highway 71 or something, where you, all you've got is a yellow line dividing north and south, and you drive down through there at least 55 miles an hour. So you're hurling along at 55, and then somebody's coming the other direction, hurling along at 55, and you pass each other with maybe a couple of feet maybe in between you. And how often do you really think about that? It's fate. And again, I think it makes a really good analogy, but biblical faith, saving faith, is is much, much more than that. We're talking about, yes, um, trust that can be described by those things, but we're talking specifically about trust in Jesus Christ. And trust in Jesus Christ affects your life, practically. For example, number one, her faith is seen in that she comes to Jesus. I mean, this is just simple, elementary, but it's, it, is the, it is the first evidence of faith, I would say, when when somebody comes to Christ. Th- that is not something that you and I accomplish as Christians. I know I've heard the, the language, and, and I understand it. I don't think it's always meant... I think sometimes it's meant bad, sometimes it's not, but... Sometimes it's used wrongly. Let me say it that way. Sometimes it's used wrongly, sometimes not. But I've heard the language people will talk about leading somebody to Christ. Well, I understand what, you know, what we mean by that. We're, we're just it's more like pointing the way. You know, we're, we're leading them in the sense that we're telling them, you, know, you need to come to Christ, you need to believe on Christ, and that's perfectly fine. But the truth is, spiritually speaking, we, our only role is to proclaim the truth. It's the Spirit of God that draws them in, that gives them the desire to listen at all, that gives them the desire to come at all, that gives them the desire to embrace the Gospel, indeed to embrace Christ. I mean, that's the work of God. That's the Holy Spirit. It's evidence of faith, belief, trust. Trust in Christ. Her faith is is seen, first of all, in that she comes to Christ. So here Jesus is in verse 21 in Tyre and Sidon. And verse 22 says, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region. She's a Canaanite. She's a descendant of the Canaanites that you read about in the Old Testament. These are pagans. Godless people. But Somehow, some way, and we 're not given the details, she has heard about Jesus. I mean, notice what it says: she came from that region, and it 's obvious she's coming to see him. The meeting was not uh happen- happenstance if you if I could just put it in the language of men here. Oh right, well, we you know it wasn't happenstance on Jesus' end either. He was here for a purpose, as we already pointed out. Uh, maybe others purposes as well, but we know at least to meet this woman. And she has come out to see Him. And that's evidence of faith. In fact, it's not just a coming to, but it's a coming out. That's what it says, isn't it? A woman of Canaan came from that region. And whatever region you were in, spiritually speaking, when you came to Christ... Those two things happen simultaneously as part of the operation of faith. You come to Christ and you come from wherever you were. That's how faith works. It's, you, can't, you can't stay, so to speak, in Canaan and come to Christ. You can't remain in sin. Jesus said, whoever sins... That is, the idea of of keeps on participating in sin, you know, being uh, driven by sin, by the lust of the sinful flesh. Whoever sins is a slave of sin, Jesus said. But, He said, the truth will make you free. If you continue in My Word, you'll know the truth. You're My disciples indeed. If you continue in My Word, you're My disciples indeed, and you'll know the truth. And the truth will make you free. And then he goes on to say, whoever the Son sets free is free indeed. I mean, he's putting emphasis on it. Again, it's not abstract. It's, it's a practical reality. When the Son, Son sets somebody free, they are really free. Now, I appreciate um, worldly efforts for example uh to loose addicts from their addictions and i and i say that sincerely i i, I there's a lot of good intentions there and i i do ap- appreciate that uh the you know the intentions but e- even some of those programs and so forth like the aa basically teach their people that you're never really out of bondage. You know, you're, you're always a recovering alcoholic. Which is just another way of saying that you never recover. You never recover. In contrast to that, Jesus says, Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. That is, you're no longer a slave to sin. You remain a slave, but now you're a slave to Christ. And free from sin, you've got a different master. Faith, um, faith works, and first of all, it works in bringing us to Christ. That is, we go to Jesus, just like this woman did. We we, we have a situation in our case, spiritually speaking, we we come to the realization by God's grace that we're lost. However, that manifests in our thinking. You know, we're our lives in shambles. Jesus looked at the Jews a few chapters back and said they're like sheep without a shepherd, harassed. And that's the way we all are. We're just, we're just lost and we need help, and faith brings us to Christ. And then, secondly, her faith is seen or demonstrated. what I mean by seen, demonstrated, or evident. Her faith is seen in that she cries out. To him, Verse 22, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. She cries out to Jesus in desperation. Faith is seen or demonstrated or evident in a desperate cry to Jesus for help. Now, I, I I think that can take different shapes, you know, manifest in different ways, but it's always there, in some form. If if there's no desperation, if there's no cry of the heart for help to Jesus, then I don't think there's any salvation. I mean, how do you, how do you save somebody that doesn't even know they need to be saved? They don't feel any urgency. They don't really feel that they're in trouble. Where there's genuine faith, there is a desperate cry to Jesus to be saved. Here in verse uh, 22, it just kind of states it later on in verse 23. Um, the, the tense of the verbs there is that she, she continues to cry out at the end of verse 23. The disciples say, "'Send her away!' For she cries out after us. And that word, crying out, again, it's a cry of desperation. In fact, the word literally means it, it means a cry or a shout. Cry loud to shout. And so in verse 23, she's continually doing that. In fact, the New American Standard translates it, she keeps shouting at us. They, they say to Jesus, send her away. She keeps shouting at us. <laughs> we will come back to that in a minute, but she she got a, a desperate plea going on here for help. I remember, um, I, I've shared this with you before, but I, I remember you know looking back at what was a time of great conviction at the at at the time when it was going on. Honestly, I just thought I was going crazy. Um, but but i 'm now looking back on it and realizing it was a you know a time of uh, being under serious conviction. I remember at one point opening the Bible, and this is not the best way to do bible study by the way <clears throat> so i 'm not advising this i 'm just saying this this is what happened this is what, you know I, I did one of these things like you hear people you know I, I just opened the Bible and put my because i didn 't know where to start didn 't know what to what to look at. So I just opened my, my Bible and put my finger down, and it fell on Psalm 38. And uh, when I began to read Psalm 38, um, it was as though I had written it, if you know what I mean. I, I mean, in other words, I, I, what David is saying in Psalm 38 was like expressing what was going on in my own heart. God was giving me me a realization of my sin and the seriousness of it. And as David says in the psalm, there was no soundness in my flesh. Um, I was mourning all the day long, basically. Now, you, you probably wouldn't necessarily have noticed that if you'd run into me on the street or something, but but it was happening on the inside of me. And in fact, one night I called, you know, just too much to explain, but a lot of spiritual (laughs) things going on. And I called my sister and had her take me to the hospital and I checked in. And uh, I remember telling her on the way, um, I just want to be normal again. Things were definitely out of whack on the inside. And and Psalm 38 just expressed it so well. And at the very end of Psalm 38, David says this in verse 21 and 22, Do not forsake me, O Lord. O my God, be not far from me. Make haste to help me, O Lord, my salvation. That's a cry. That's a cry for help from the Lord. And I memorized those two verses. I don't... I couldn't tell you now if I intended to do that or if it just happened, you know, because I kept going back and looking at it. Um, But I memorized those two verses. And this went on for some period of time. You know, I would pray that. Make haste to help me. And that's what this woman's doing. I was desperate. She was desperate. And she's crying out to Jesus. Why Jesus? Do you see what I'm saying? This is evidence of faith. And why didn't she go somewhere else? Why didn't I go somewhere else? This is part of the work of faith, it brings you to Jesus. It's evident in that you cry out to Jesus. And by the way, isn't it interesting that her situation, you know, her desperation has to do with her child? In other words, the mercy she's asking for is for her child. So, so you, you can interpret that as this, if, if you will heal my child, if you will have mercy on my child, that will be a mercy to me. And that's what she says. Verse 22, have mercy on me. Have mercy on me, O Lord, Son of David. In what way? Heal my child. Her faith is seen, thirdly, in that she recognizes who Jesus is. And I mean more than just knowing His name and, okay, this is the miracle worker from Galilee. It's more than that. I mean, obviously she's heard all that. That's why she came. You say, well, you know, she knows who Jesus is. That's why she came. But more than just that, she refers to Him as Lord, Son of David. Again, this is a Gentile woman, Syro-Phoenician woman, Mark tells us. A Canaanite. But she's heard about Jesus, and she knows and believes, that's faith, she believes that He's the Messiah. Son of David was a common, commonly used title for the Messiah. She recognizes who Jesus is. Her faith is evident in that she recognizes who Jesus is. Not just a man who can do... Wondrous things, but the Messiah, Lord. She comes to him as Lord. Again, that's part of the work of faith. It brings us to Christ, that's why we come to Christ. It, it generates a, a, a cry, a cry out. Born out of desperation to Him. And faith (laughs) reveals to us who He is. We believe that He's not just a good man that does good things. Although He was certainly that, but He's not just that. He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. The Anointed One of God. He's the only hope. Fourth, her faith is seen in that she continues to cry out to Jesus. I told you we'd come back to this. Uh, the reason I split it up is because of this. Um, two things here. Um, one, the, uh, uh, the, the disciples' response to her, and then also what Jesus says, which we'll come to in a moment. But let's look at verse uh, 23 again. He answered her, not a word. That's significant. And I said what Jesus says. We have to start with what He did not say. He answered her, not a word. Imagine going to the Lord, crying out desperately, Help me! Help me! Have mercy on me! And you get silence in response. Or maybe you don't have to imagine that. Maybe you've been there. Now, see, I, that's pretty much the way I felt during that period where I'm, I'm crying out. Forsake me not, O Lord, O my God. Be not far from me. Make haste to help me. Boy, Boy, often, you know, our idea of haste and the Lord's idea of haste are two different things. Suffice it to say, I know it sounds a little cliche, but suffice it to say, He's never late. He's never late. But you're crying out. I was crying out. Make haste to help me. Now, the, the, the very fact that I'm praying that and I'm crying out is due to God's grace. It's because He's opening my eyes to things. So, he's helping. He's helping. But that's not what I'm perceiving. I'm perceiving silence. Because my my circumstances aren't changing fast enough for me. Make, Make haste to help me, Lord. And all I'm getting is silence. And that's her situation. Well, we're going to see. It's true, Jesus answered her not a word. But is he not doing anything here? I mean, is is he really being idle at this point? Not at all. In fact, what we're seeing play out here is a, is a test of her faith for her own. Good. Verse 23, He answered her not a word, and His disciples came and urged Him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Or, she keeps shouting at us. Now, in spite of Jesus' silence and the frustration of the disciples, she keeps shouting, Have mercy on me! Help me! Where does that come from? It's, it's faith in operation. It's a work of faith. Her faith is evident or seen in the fact that she continues to cry out to Jesus, even when she gets no response and perhaps a negative response from the disciples. And I say perhaps because I, I'm not sure here. When the disciples say, send her away, I don't know if this is uh, out of frustration. You know, she keeps shouting at us, would you? She's a Gentile dog would you would you tell her to go away or perhaps they mean by this send her away lord grant her desire and send her on her way because she keeps shouting at us almost like saying don't have mercy lord don't you hear her could be either way. I'm not sure. But because of what we know of the disciples, quite honestly, I, depend, I, 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 uh, I tend to think um, <laughs> it was the first. <laughs> I tend to think they just got tired of hearing her. And Lord, get rid of her. You know, this is a Gentile. Because they're, they're, at this point, they're still learning much about compassion. She continues to cry out. That is a work of faith. Number five, her faith is seen in that she worships Jesus. Now, think about this for a minute. Because she comes acknowledging who He is, crying out to Him for help. Oh Lord, you know, have mercy on me. And she gets silence in return. And what does she do? Well, she continues to cry out. And then she hears this in verse 24. Not exactly what you want to hear when you're crying out. Remember, she's a Gentile. Verse 24, But he answered. See, he had been silent. Ah, that's not good, right? And now he answers and you think, Relief! But this is not the answer she wanted to hear. Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. You know what he's telling her? I'm sent to the Jews. You're a Gentile. I mean, it's almost like saying, can't help you. Or at least, not going to. Not going to help you. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And what's her response to this? She turn, walk away, get mad. She worshipped. Verse twenty-five. Folks, if this if this isn't evidence of faith, I don't know what is. With 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 those two responses: number one, silence; and number two, rejection. What we would think of as rejection. She worshipped. Him. That's a work of faith. When you worship the Lord Jesus Christ, that can only be the result of the operation of true, biblical, saving, faith. She worshipped Him saying, Lord, help me. Well, what a, what a lesson in persistence. She keeps shouting at us. And then, you know, she gets this seemingly uh, unloving answer. Rejection could easily be interpreted as. And what does she do? She worships and says, Lord, help me. There's, there's nowhere else to go. It's it's a way of expressing that truth. If you don't help me, there is no help. Jesus says, well, I'm not sent but to the lost sheep of Israel. Well, I'm just going to keep crying out. I'm just going to keep pleading because nobody else can help. This is not an example of trying something. I've heard so many people say, well, you know, i I tried drugs, and i tried tried, um, you know, Eastern religions, and i tried tried uh, self-help stuff, and now I'm going to try Jesus. I'll give it a try. And I've heard people present the Gospel that way. They put it the other way. You know, you've tried drugs, you've tried self-help, you've tried other religions. Try Jesus. Come on, give Him a try. There's no faith in that. That's, that's not what's happening here. She's not saying, okay, I'll try. If that were her attitude, she'd walk off probably when he responded with silence. And if she didn't walk off then, she'd definitely walk off when he said, I'm just sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. This is true faith, because she's saying, I'm not going anywhere. It's like Jacob when he grabbed hold of the angel and said, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And he didn't. And he got blessed. He got a wound too. Genuine faith is costly sometimes, if not always. And she said, Lord, help me! Help me! Her faith is seen in that. Think about what's involved with worship submission. I mean that that's how she comes to Christ calling him Lord. Verse 22, o Lord, Son of David." Again here in verse 25, "Lord, help me." That is worship. Her her heart is in submission to the person of Jesus Christ and Mark says she fell at his feet saying, "Lord, help me." And you had the same um, continuous action there, like she kept saying. She's, she's fall, falling at His feet saying, Lord, help me. Lord, help me. Expressing her own helplessness and expressing dependence upon Jesus. And that's what worship is about. It's not just singing a song a certain way or singing a certain song or singing a certain style. It's, it's not music necessarily at all. it's a, it's again just like we talked about about the hand, the uh, the uh, defilement true worship is a matter of the heart and how how the heart approaches jesus Number six, her faith is seen in that she was determined to receive from Jesus. I won't spend much time here because this is basically just a reiteration of what we've been talking about. Um, this has been her determination from the start. This is why she came to Him. This is why she cried out to Him. To receive. Well, let me say this on this matter. This is how the Lord wants us to come to Him. Let's make sure we don't get that twisted up. I've heard people say things like, well, you know, you've got to go to church to give, not to receive. That's backwards. That's backwards. I mean, if you're talking about helping other people, then fine. that's true. You now let's, let's be all about giving. But if you're talking about your relationship with the Lord, it's all about receiving. Let's, let's turn around, all right the words remember, remember the words of JFK, John Kennedy? Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. That works good with patriotism, but it doesn't work at all when it comes to relationship with the Lord. We better be asking what He can do for us, because we can do nothing for Him. We come to Him to receive continually. Right? Initially, at salvation and then continually thereafter. Our, our whole relationship with Him is about Him giving and us receiving. You say, well that sounds awful selfish. <laughs> That's the only way it can be because we have nothing by which to benefit Him. Absolutely nothing. We are the receivers. He's the giver. And she's determined to receive from Him, even after being called or likened to, maybe I should say it that way, a dog. Verse 25, she cries out. She worships Him and says, Lord, help me. And verse 26, He answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Now, think about what He just said in verse 24. I was, sent, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's who he means by the children. The lost sheep of the house of Israel. Israel, the Jews, are the children. And Jesus is saying, I've come as bread for the children. That's what my ministry is all about. Bread for the children. I've come to feed the children, the Jews. And it's not good, he uses this analogy, it's not good to take the children's bread and give it to the little dogs. So in that analogy, the Jews are the children, Jesus is the bread. And the Gentiles, which is most of us, the Gentiles are the dogs, the little dogs. And Jesus is saying, that's not fitting. I mean, can you imagine a family? They've got all the children sitting around the table. And there's, you know, Spot or Rover or whoever, or maybe both of them, over there on the floor. And, and the mother comes out with the, you know, the big dish. Dinner's Ready. And she takes it over there and gives it to the dogs. All the children are sitting there. <laughs> they would think that a little odd, I would hope. And I would hope, you know, Father maybe would have something to say about that. That's not fitting, right? You don't give the children's bread to the dogs, she's being called a dog. listen to how she responds. Again, evidence of faith. She is determined to receive from Him. Verse 27, she says, yes, Lord. She agrees. She agrees with Him. Yes, your analogy is right. That, That would be inappropriate. But she says, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the Master's table. Now, the picture there is, right, just like Jesus is already using this analogy, the picture is the children are sitting, eating, and the little dogs are laying under the table, house pets. And Jesus says, you don't take the children's bread and give it to the dogs. And she says, that's true, that's true. But the little dogs do eat from the crumbs that fall from the children's table. So they do get fed some of the children's food. They eat the crumbs that fall. And she uses a little play on words here. Little, little dogs, little little crumbs. And Jesus in verse 28 says, O woman, great is your faith. You know, um, I mean, that, that ought to really grab our attention. It's just like when He was dealing with the centurion I mentioned earlier. And He said to His disciples, I've not found so great faith. No, not in Israel. Another Gentile, by the way. Jesus hears what this woman says, how she responds. She is determined to receive from Him. And His response is not Look, I've tried to make this plain to you. Would you just leave me alone? I'll just get plainer. And I I tried to ignore you. I tried to tell you I'm not I'm not sent here for your kind. I, I gave you a parable, an analogy to make the point. It's crystal clear. Just get the point and leave me alone. That's not how he responds. He says, woman, great is your faith. He's commending her for not giving up. For all these works of faith we've been pointing out, for coming to Him, for crying out to Him, for acknowledging, understanding and acknowledging who He is, for being persistent in crying out to Him. He's commending all of that. Now, this is where Jesus was taking the thing all along. It was a test of her faith. And she passed. Great is your faith. Great is the word mega. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. This is the last point. Her faith is rewarded. Mark says it this way in Mark 7.29. For this saying, in other words, she said to Jesus, that's true, Lord, that it's not right for the dogs to eat the children's bread, but they do get the crumbs that fall from the children's table. And Mark says for this saying Jesus said to her for this saying go your way when he heard her response he said because of this or through this literally for this saying go your way the demon has gone out of your daughter he granted her desire true faith genuine faith biblical faith is looking to receive from God. And God grants the desire. I'll give you an example of that. Not an example, but a little bit of an explanation here. And we'll close with this. In Hebrews, Hebrews 11.1, 1, now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But without faith, verse six, Hebrews eleven six, but without faith it is impossible to please him. Faith is a God pleaser. He's pleased by faith. Now, if we defined uh Faith as trust, which is a common way that I define it, because I think that's uh, I'm just, what I'm doing there, is just taking the, the way that the, the scripture talks about faith and describes it and presents it. It comes down to trust in God. John 14, um, you believe in God, that is, you trust God, you also trust me, Jesus said to the disciples. Believe. He uses the word faith there. Believe. You believe in God, you ought, believe in me. Um, it's the idea of trust. You trust God, you trust Me. So if we define it that way, and then we hear this, but faith, without faith it is impossible to please Him. So so what, what would that look like? In other words, what is the opposite of faith? Distrust. Right? If faith is trust, if, if it can rightly be described that way, then the opposite would be to... Not trust. God speaks and you say, "Eh, I don't accept that. I don't believe that. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For, that's what the writer of Hebrews says, for He who comes to God... Now hear this. Sometimes when you you talk about reward... um, People take issue with that. They think it's it's uh, well, you know, that's that's contrary to grace. The New Testament is full of examples of Jesus promising reward for belief and for right conduct. Here's just one. We went through several when we were doing the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, you know, first few chapters of Revelation, several examples. Um, but here here's here's another example. But notice this. Not only does it state it, it makes it essential. For he who comes to God must believe that He is. That's the first requirement in this this statement of essentials. In order for you to come to God, you must believe that He is. That's the way of saying you've got to believe that He exists. I mean, it would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? The idea of coming to God if you don't even believe that He exists. If you go back to verse 22, Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region, it would be ridiculous for her to come out there if she didn't really believe anything regarding Him. People say, oh, this is a great man, this is the Messiah, He, he heals, He's saves." And she says, I don't believe that. Then she's not going to come out there. So, he who comes to God must believe that he is, and number two, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. That's how the writer of Hebrews describes genuine faith. You you must believe that He is, and you must believe that He is a rewarder of those that diligently seek Him. God rewards those who come to Him in faith. That's the work of faith. Brings us to Christ, causes us to cry out to Jesus, enables us to recognize who Jesus is, enables us, or causes us, you could say, to continue to cry out to Him, to worship Him, to be determined to receive from Him. All, all of those things are evidence of true, genuine, biblical faith. In, in those things, her faith is seen. And finally, her faith is rewarded. Now, that's why I prayed earlier in the prayer we opened up with. We thank You, Lord, for... Because faith is a gift of God. Isn't that awesome? He rewards what He gives. He's pleased with it. Well, it's His own work. (laughs) But where faith is not, He's displeased. But he is quite pleased with his own work. Look at Genesis 1 and 2. He created all things and he said, It's very good. He sees the faith of one of his children and he says, Wow, it's very good. (laughs) Great is your faith. Let's stand. We'll close with a word of prayer and just ask that God bless the hearing of His word and the proclamation of His word. Ronnie McCart, would you lead us in a word of prayer, please? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana.